0: Welcome to Live Brazenly. I'm your host, Jessica Van Valkenburg. I'm the founder of Brazenly Beautiful Bodies Without Shame, a yoga instructor, and a body confidence coach. Live Brazenly is a podcast for women who are tired of beating themselves up over their bodies and ready to truly learn how to love their bodies and themselves. I'm your guide, a light maker and cycle breaker. I'm on a mission to break painful cycles of body image, which are considered normal in our society, and to expose the powerful connection between movement, breath, mindfulness, and feelings for healing. So sit back, relax, and learn how to live brazenly. You're worth it, gorgeous. Hey, everybody. How are you? Welcome to another episode. I am your host, Jessica Van Valkenburg of Brazenly Beautiful, and I am very excited for my guest today. I have a very special guest. This has been a longtime friend, colleague, collaborator, artist, just amazing all-around human being. I'm so happy to have Edgar Page here. Hi, Edgar. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so glad they have Edgar. And I have to put the disclaimer out there that typically this is a podcast where I feature women because I'm a woman-owned business and it's with women for women, but I had to make an exception for Edgar because we've been friends for a really long time and we were fellow dancers, we were, you know, colleagues together in college, but The work that Edgar has been doing lately is so important, and it's just in terms of body positivity and self-acceptance and radical self-love, what he's been doing in healing through artistry and healing his body issues through dance, I just said, oh my gosh, I have to talk to you about this, and I have to have you on my show, and thank you for being here. Tell us a little bit about what the work that you're doing, the company that you have, how you're just shifting the world with uh, body positivity.
1: Sure. So my company is called Edgar L. Page Field of Movement. It was founded in 2018. Uh, we are Denver, Colorado based, and it is all about exploring the authenticity of human emotion and experiences one dance at a time. So I, I like to think of myself as creating these artifacts of history and motion and history in motion and history and moment as it's unveiling itself. And my company specifically deals with challenging archetypes in dance, specifically the centralized notion that there has to be this form or figure that's shrouded in youth and this sometimes what I have perceived and also participated in this sometimes unrealistic (laughs) image of thin, toned, slim, which comes with all these other implications or activities to make that happen. So I challenge the notion of who gets to be a dancer by opening up my space to dancers or movement enthusiasts is a better way to say it, because all the persons that come into my space are not dancers. They just have a love for movement. And I am helping them figure out how to authentically reconnect to the joy of movement, which is what I have been working very earnestly towards rediscovering for self, not in this performative way, but just in the way where it's, no, this is why I started doing this before all the bureaucracy, before it became a business, before I was dancing in college for a grade, like figuring out, no, this is it. This is why I, the move, the dance took over my body. This is why I wanted to do this. So I challenge body image. I challenge notions of ableism and also mental health and wellness. I also challenge ageism. My Core group of dancers rages and age from 13 has been my youngest, and my most mature mover is 66 this year. And I take very clear precautions to not have anyone tokenized or isolated or separated for any reason. Everyone who comes into the space is an equal participant. We are all bringing our best, we are all working towards whatever task or discovery or excavation is happening. And obviously with dance, the majority of the market, you're going to see a female form. And so I do a very, I do a very authentic approach towards space where I, it's always a conversation. There's always a dialogue. I, at no point am I forcing anyone to do something that doesn't feel comfortable. I'm very clear about making sure that there's equity in the movement where, for instance, just at baseline, male and female figures move differently. We have different um, anatomical features. And so just at baseline, having a clear conversation where does this work for your body? Although the work that we do as dancers is all about learning the body, oftentimes what you're seeing is large groups of women, especially in pop culture, translating what a man believes a woman should be on stage. Oh Lord, we got to stop right there because (laughs) that is so...
0: Thank you for saying that, number one. But also, it it doesn't just have to be what a man thinks. It can just be like what worked thousands of years ago. So Mm -hmm. whether we're talking about like dance or we're talking about yoga, right? Yoga is made for little boy bodies in India, like little Mm -hmm. boys who were like didn't have breasts and Mm -hmm. uterus and hips and all these kind of things. So like for women, my listeners, we that's one of the things that I love to do is customize the practice for you, Mm. and. You're not, you don't have to change yourself for the practice, the practice should change for for you for who you are and where you are. And I love I just love everything that you said on (laughs) so many levels, because I think it's really interesting, Edgar and I, we danced together. When we were in college, we were in a dance company together. And we have remained friends all these years, but we were just on the edge of where some people were starting to come around and say body positive, And some people were saying it's okay to be different, but it was still not like the, yeah. like Edgar and I were both kind of disruptors. I'll be honest. Because, <laughs> uh, we were disrupting in our own way where we were saying like, I don't, I don't fit into this mold. Yep. And so I just find it really interesting that, and, and a lot of our colleagues have been really successful and no, no shade on anybody that we went to school with, but I just find it really interesting that we both both taken this way of embracing and movement. And then we've found a way to teach it in an accessible and equitable way to opening it up to, to everybody. So I just really feel a common theme with you for that. And then I really want to talk about I loved what you posted. He posted a, a dance that he has and he explained how he's been a part of healing circles of women and that women in his life, you've had the privilege to be a part of these circles and these relationships. Can you just talk a little bit about that? And there's so much, Edgar, I feel like we could talk for four hours. So I just want to
1: I really Yeah, wanna no, talk you. Get, get as much in as possible. That's fair. So yes, the name of the piece that I recently posted is called Silver Linings, which is an examination of how. I've been invited into spaces with women, as you said, who are working towards their own healing, and they've invited me in both as a witness and a participant into these circles where we share, where we, we speak to pain, we speak to dysfunction, we speak to how we are challenging expectations and notions, especially, and this is from my own practice, cultural norms that have not been questioned. Oftentimes, we operate from this space where we were told this, and so we believe it. We haven't done an investigation on our own to actually come up with a with a clear understanding of why. This is why we do this. This is why we believe this. And so as a result of that, I created this piece that examines how we live, how we love, how we look at coming and going from relationships, because a lot of my work examines really how we evolve in proximity to intimacy, how we shape and change and become ultimately ourselves as a result of knowing, experiencing, and sharing love. And most importantly, especially in my life, losing it. (laughs) And so those moments when you have to say goodbye to someone that you don't want to say goodbye to are very important to me. And so we looked at that in this work. We talked about it. And again, I had my full range of movers in this piece where you could actually see how I am challenging the notion of who gets to be in the space and call themselves a dancer. My youngest dancer at the time in that work was 15. And even having her have a dialogue about a physical dialogue about what it's like to explore dating in Mm -hmm. this time where she's still learning what that means and how she expresses herself in her hands about trying to reach out and, and grasp and hold on to someone, but understanding that sometimes you have to let them go. And she's right there dancing on stage with one of my dear friends and dancer, who just turned 50 this year? She's been married for over 20 years and has three beautiful children. And how she, there's a different nuance about how she uses her hands to express love. And so, the beautiful thing about coming together is that we're creating, literally recreating the healing circles that I've been a part of, but also creating one in, of our own in our own space. So, the space becomes so sacred and we honor that. The fact that when we come into the studio, the stuff that we're, kind of pulling apart the stuff that we are dissecting is all to create a larger dialogue for those who choose to view for those who support us for those who get it because the other thing is my work really deals with making dance accessible I think that sometimes it gets so abstract that you can't fully understand the humanity inside of it and I try my best to keep everything very pure of the people, for the people. And so with that work, we were really looking at that. Like, how do we speak about carrying someone with you? So you see these women drag these chairs from the upstage portion of the room to the downstage portion, and they assume their positions, their their roles, so to speak, on this chair. But each one gets to give a different narrative about how they've been shaped by loving someone. And so it's, it was a really powerful experience, especially as I was as I was creating it, I was going through the process of releasing a love that I thought that a love that no longer served me. Let's say that, and I was also coming into an experience where I was going back to a love that I had let go of and knew that I wanted to uh, tap back into, and just the the humble the humbleness that you have to have about approaching that, which is a whole other experience and story. And so, throughout, you're seeing these women. Just share like this is who they are and all of their womanhood and all of their femininity and all of their beauty. And also the fact that there's a balance between the dichotomy of this femininity that also touches masculinity because some of the movement is some of it. The movement is curated by me, but the reality is in order to tell the tale, you have to be uh, show the audience who you are, but also show them who you love and so having to embody this feminine and masculine at the same time it's it's such a joy <laughs> mm, oh, it's I such a joy that. yeah
0: and, and the thing that's so beautiful about all of your work is that obviously it's not just and then we put the arm here it's we're putting the arm here with intention because exactly. this is, you know and obviously you can tell how poetic Edgar is with the meaning behind and the motivation behind his movement it's just absolutely beautiful and i love just hearing talking about your inspiration because it's true artistry and thank you for doing that work creating that. I want to touch on, before we're finished here, I want to touch on your own personal journey that you've been going through with your body. And I know that my listeners have heard my body story with being a dancer and all the preconceived notions that we have about the way that we're supposed to look and fitting into these boxes and all of these things. But you have actually undergone your own healing process throughout the pandemic and have really come into a new understanding of your body. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Absolutely. So you're absolutely right. Coming into dance, especially in the, I hate to say this because it makes me feel like I'm aging us, in the era that we did where the language was so different from what it is now, the discussions that we're having, as you said, we were on the precipice of talking about body positivity as a whole in dance, but there were very few voices at the, in the early 2000s <laughs> that were champions for this. Like they they were there, there were people who, who, were, who were saying it, who were whispering it, who were putting it in a lexicon, but there were still a lot of people who upheld the notion, this is how it is, this is how, it's, how it should be. And so having those beautiful trailblazers who were also continuing a lineage that was started before them has really, is important to acknowledge. I am in the succession of that work. I have, I've struggled, I've had eating disorders, I have done harmful things to my body to maintain this idea of, I hate to say perfection, but perfection, because I've never believed that my body lived in a space that I could call perfect. And unfortunately, at the time that we connected, I was going through my own issues about self-love and body image and um, relating that to the uh romantic inclinations that I was having. I still remember the day an ex an ex came to me and said, "Your you your body is it would be beautiful if this were bigger, or you need more of this, or I want you to do this. You need to tone this up." And at the time, I was already dealing with my own kind of coming to self coming into self-love. I was not, although I was actively participating in a queer lifestyle, I was not necessarily out, but I wasn't hiding either. (laughs) And so engaging at that time with the majority of my partners at that time were definitely what is considered down low. And unfortunately they were projecting a lot of their own insecurities about masculinity and how it should look and be shaped and how it should be performed on me. And so I carried a lot of that with me for years. And it wasn't until recently that I got to the point where I looked at myself. So just before the pandemic, I had been looking at myself. My mom had been having conversations with me about just my appearance. I had gained uh, quite a bit of weight. I, since I wasn't, I have this company of dancers. So in my mind, I didn't have to maintain this image, dancer body, for stage because I had dancers who were already doing that. I didn't have to exercise that. And again, in my company, the dancer body is um, on a spectrum. It looks how it looks for that dancer. I don't encourage anyone to lose weight or do do all these things to be perceived as a dancer. I encourage them to show up as they are because representation is incredibly important. And I, I will also say, drawing that into my personal experience the only reason why i became a dancer is because i saw a performance of breaking the noise breaking the funk in 1997 and it was the first time i had seen black men dancing on stage who actually looked like me and the men in my community and because of that that made me affirm that my desire to move was okay and so i had been looking at that and i i said all the time because i've had to challenge this and some of the spaces that I've entered, especially traditionally Eurocentric, ballet-focused spaces, where I'm always... (laughs) The perception is that I don't have an understanding of classical technique because of my presentation. And I'm typically hired to do coursework that is rooted in the African diaspora, which would be contemporary modern idioms that are rooted in the tradition of Black modern dance or jazz dance technique. Sometimes I remember someone quoted me as teaching Afro jazz and I was like, what the fuck is that? That's not even on my resume. Oh, is it okay say that? <laughs> it's okay. I'm, I'm also challenging perceptions of how people read me walking through the world, which is always the work. So as I am looking at my body in motion, I'm always examining that, always interrogating it. And so throughout the pandemic, I sat with myself and said, you're not taking care of yourself and having to have a real dialogue about that. So I started seeing a counselor and a therapist and started working through some of my own contention with the dance world and this perpetuation of uh, performative survival. How we are taught literally to let someone denigrate you and smile at them and thank you for it. And it's one. It's so insidious. It's, it becomes a part of you where you then start to see it for yourself because you spend all this time in front of a mirror because you're always looking at your image and you want to get the note and fix it before the person in front of you does. And so what that does is breed a very specific type of self-criticism. And unfortunately that can turn into a plentiful of self-loathing. And this time taking having space where I didn't have to focus on actively pursuing all of the goals and successes that I had been doing full-time with my company. As a result of the pandemic, all that slowed down significantly to a crawl. And inside of that, it created this beautiful space for me to unpack some things, to explore some things, to have some real honest conversations with myself and my therapist about Edgar as a human and not Edgar as a dancer, which has been a hard thing to understand. Like my identity is not the fact that I am this dancer, choreographer, teacher, modern day griot, so to speak. The reality is all of that is informed by who I am as a human. And at my baseline as a human, I stopped loving myself. I stopped taking care of myself. I only, I got to the point where with my, and I say this in context, I had gotten to the point where I was so used to performing as a version of myself that I typically was showing up in spaces just to thrive, seeking success or attempting to hold on to a love that I stopped giving the proper nourishment to. So I also lost my fiance throughout this pandemic, which was a a huge Moment for me, falling on my face, losing this love that I have been chasing. I have been chasing this man for 20 years, waiting, trying to be with him. This was my first love, my first kiss. And again, my work explores how we're shaped by intimacy. So my story is largely built around the fact that for more than half of my life, I have been trying to be with this man. And what happened, honestly, is I started this diet program. I started doing the keto program because I had been playing with different regulated eating patterns. Largely, I had been doing plant-based as a result of trying to look a certain way on stage. And I ended up destroying my metabolism with that. Just a lack of knowledge and understanding of how my body worked with this line of eating. Yeah, and, and I want
0: you to say that really one more time, how my body worked because- yes. It just, and I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but no, just good. how we say that like, we're trying to fit into a mold in the dance world or in the yoga world, in the diet world, a lot of times we're trying to fit into a mold or a diet that's not for us.
1: Yep. <laughs> yep. And there's so many things that go into it, like blood type, genetics. There. <laughs> so I had to come into a different understanding through trial and error, through research. And I'm definitely, I am a dance researcher, let me tell you. And so I applied that. applied level of research, how I pull things apart and want to just present them to the world in a manner that's relatable. I had to do that for myself with understanding how my body processes nutrients and food and even physical activity. And so that's the other thing that you're seeing me do. Like I am coming to social media to post at least 15 seconds of dance per day on my Instagram stories and my Facebook stories.
0: Which I love watching. I watch
1: them every day with my daughter. (laughs) I love watching them because
0: she loves watching movement. And yes, and what you're posting, I figured that maybe you were doing it like as an accountability, like for yourself, like I'm going to Absolutely. But at the same time, it's beautiful. It's putting something beautiful into the world. And I love the way that you are calling it like your ritual.
1: The ritual of coming... I, I've been saying it to folks because I get a lot of questions about it. The ritual of coming to, I am doing a light workout daily, which is something I haven't done in years. I'm also coming to my yoga mat because I don't have a Marley or dance floor in my apartment. I have carpet everywhere, unfortunately. No, fortunately, I'm thankful to have an apartment that has carpet, but I miss being able to come to Marley. And so my ritual is daily telling myself, you're going to, if nothing else, you're going to move. Today, you're going to dance and you're going to just, again, reconnect to the joy of movement and removing this idea of perfectionism. A lot of times I will show that I'm just improving or just exploring, or sometimes it's deeper than that. Sometimes it's actually me carving out this choreography to tell a story, which has been the greater focus on my journey right now. I, I have become so reliant upon the fact that I have these beautiful interpreters of my movement that I was losing the desire to tell my own narrative. And I think that, especially right now, with all that's happening, especially with me being a survivor of so many things, my own self-hatred, my own self-loathing, my own sometimes family that thinks they're being supportive, but they really aren't, my own sometimes desire to disappear, my own feelings of inadequacy, my own regret with the hearts that I've broken over time, or even I'm also a rape survivor. There are so many things that I am really saying with this body, with who I am and all of myself at this time, the fact that it has been so resilient, it got up every single day that I worked for 10 years for a company and went in that studio and did the work. And there were times where my body showed up and my mind didn't because my spirit just couldn't be there. And I I am in such gratitude for it at this time, because even though there were moments where I didn't love myself or my body in its fullness, it still produced. And there's something to be said about that, like celebrating the fact that, again, the ritual, the body in motion is a ritual. If you can keep reconnecting to the beauty in that, which is what I am challenging self to do every day. And so you're absolutely right when you talk about the accountability aspect of it. I post daily because I know that someone is watching. I know that um, someone I get the narrative all the time from someone who says I used to dance and I miss it. And I don't know why I stopped or the one that is so incredibly pervasive that I, it also influences my work. I wanted to be a dancer, but this person told me I couldn't because I was too fat. I was too short. I was too dark. I was too this. I was too that, or I didn't have the right feet or, I they told me that just whatever. I didn't have the right quality. And unfortunately, I and I encounter that more often than I would I like to. But that's actually where the seed that that I nourish for my practice, I specifically seek out that dancer, that mover, that person who may have been discouraged from doing it because they were told they couldn't. And I'm like, no, let's heal that. Let's figure out, let's come to the sacred space. Let's come to the studio. Again, the ritual of just sitting there. And the thing that is <laughs> has been powerful in my work is even shifting the perception of my company members. I have two dancers who've been with me in Inception and even watching the journey that they've been on with me and how they hear the notes, how they hear the, the language that I'm using. I specifically use love languages. I specifically do not talk down to anyone in the process in the studio. I specifically don't reference the I reference the body from a kinesthetic standpoint. I don't reference it from an aesthetic standpoint because I don't think that it's valid for me to challenge your the look of your body because my goal is to make sure that you reflect who you are. You become a mirror for who yeah. I'm sitting there.
0: And I, I have to stop you for one minute because yeah. I have to say that in the world of dance, notoriously, with men and men choreographers, and, and I've experienced this like mm-hmm. a lot in my lifetime, is that it's always, not always, I shouldn't say always, but a lot of the times, it, yes, you're it's what the man wants. Mm-hmm. And so it falls into these patterns of the patriarchy. There's always over, there can be tones of mansplaining or the man... Mm-hmm down or talking down. It can also be like, I always used to say that men dancers are notorious. If they're not gay, then they were like, womenizers and so they were always sexualizing, yeah. you know, their dancers. And so and these are just these are biases, these are things that I've experienced, but that I've said, but they're also things that have happened in the dance world historically. And so I think the thing that is really beautiful in what you're saying is that you are aware of all of these things. And so as a man coming and being the choreographer and being the the person that's creating the inspiration, you're really doing the best that you can to get rid of those biases and to really just have it be like open flow, open and communication and uplift your dancers, which is beautiful. And thank you for doing that work and for acknowledging and owning that, that even though it's, I don't want to say that it's like that with everyone. There's, I'm sure there's many wonderful male choreographers and teachers, but it has been a part of this industry.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's one of those things where, as you said, it's not that everyone is doing it, but it happens so much. And I hear you and I appreciate that you are saying that it comes. These are biases that you have, you know, encountered or experienced, but it's not. I want to gently say this. It's not a unique experience. And that's the thing that (laughs) is problematic. Like you have so many and this is especially from younger, like younger children who are coming into dance on up, like you, you are all, you're always told, which is I, this is a word I never ever use in any of my coursework. Sexy, how to be sexy. You're always being told and taught how to be sexy with your body as if that is the goal, as if that has a value, as if that is what you have to know in order to be a dancer. I, I challenge that. I think that there's a difference in understanding how the body inherently, because my work is rooted in again traditions of the Black modern dance aesthetic, which uh, look at how the pelvis is the central point of the body, not the t- not the, the torso. So, looking at how the pelvis in motion actually shifts and creates the sensuality, the essence, really the root of life, and how that influences all of your movement from the pelvis, the pubis up to the heart to the head, or from the pubis down through the ankles which is what we
0: do connecting with the chakras and yoga exactly
1: exactly that's absolutely it and i i use that as a, a rubric as well to teach how you find how you find your core like you and understanding that it has to start from the root the bottom and that's your center versus the majority of my babies have always been taught. And also some of my adults, that your center is right at your abdominal wall. And I'm like, no, it's deeper than that. If you can figure out how to reach into your pelvis and pull all of that up and give that to the world, talk with your pelvis. But then yeah. there's the, again, that idea where there could be a misconstruing of it being overly sexualized. And I'm like, but that's the work that we're doing. We are saying, no, this is the root of your movement. The yeah. reality is where your pelvis shifts and turns determines how your body is perceived in space, not your torso. (laughs) And although the torso is the container for the heart, which I definitely embrace and use quite a bit in my work, I'm more aware of my practice of acknowledging where the hips and pelvis are.
0: Edgar, thank you. This is, I would go on with this. I love speaking with you about this, but I am looking at the time and that's fair. (laughs) I just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing. I think that this chat was hopefully really inspiring. It's inspiring just for me. And I know that it's inspiring for other listeners because if it's whether it's dance, whether it's yoga, we are here. We're trying to do the work to erase those negative and hurtful patterns that have been instilled in us over time. And we can see, I think for you and I both similarly, we've had our own journey with it. And so now we want to help to bring that message of hope to other people. And just knowing that if you did grow up with the background, unfortunately, like these things do exist in our world. And if you grew up with that kind of information, that you have a choice and that there's other ways that you can process and that we can be better for the next generation. And I really think that's, you know something that we both are are very passionate about. And so I just thank you for coming on here. I want to ask the last thing that I ask to everyone, which is if you can speak directly to women or really to anybody about their bodies, what do you want them to know?
1: I want you to leave you with this. I want you to know your body deserves a ritual of authentic love. And whatever that is for you, do it. Not the hashtag self-love. But actually embracing this is what my body needs and says. Like finding that time to be quiet with it, finding that time to hear it and honor the fact that it says, I'm tired or I need a stretch or sometimes my body needs a mimosa. So, <laughs> you know, honoring that. So, making sure that you honor that your body deserves a ritual of love and not just an act here and there. Give it the love that it deserves because it works so hard for you. Make sure that you honor it. Make sure you give back to it. There's a reciprocal nature of loving of self and body. So do that. Give it that. (laughs) I love that.
0: Thank you so much. And I did post Edgar's handle. So if you want to follow him on Instagram and watch all of his beautiful stories and the feeling behind the movement, right? This is the feeling of a movement. Is that
1: your tagline? The feeling of an emotion.
0: I feel, oh, the feeling of an emotion. Okay, mm-hmm. real movement, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the feeling of an emotion and it's pure poetry. You can tell this amazing man from the words that he says, but wait till you see his body moving. It is gorgeous. So just thank you for sharing your love. Thank you for your wisdom, my dear friend. I'm so happy and proud of you for everything that you're accomplishing. And yeah, just thank you for putting this out into the world.
1: Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share and having me. And I'm so proud of you. This work is radical beautiful and so necessary at this time
0: thank you babe all right take care i will talk to you soon and thanks everyone for listening we're always here if you need to reach out we want to hear your stories of self-love and you know how you're getting through this pandemic learning to love yourself a little bit deeper take care everyone this podcast is produced by jessica van Valkenberg. For more information about body confidence, visit www.brazinglybeautiful.com. And don't forget to download your free 20 body positive affirmation cards there. It's always a beautiful day to love yourself gorgeous. Sending you tons of love and light.